Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. Thanks again for being a part of this conversation. Thank you for all that you do to help orphan, vulnerable children, families to flourish. Um, as you know, we're kind of mixing it up a little bit this this uh, last few episodes here at Think Orphan. I'm going to let Brandon um, share with you exactly what you're doing. For those of you who don't know, I'm Phil Dark, um, one of the hosts here. And uh, Brandon will be kind of navigating the conversation we have today on foster care all around the world. And we have such an amazing panel. I'm going to let Brandon take care of that. But first of all, Brandon, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm excited for this conversation. Uh, I won't say who it was, but we were definitely waiting on one of our guests for an inordinate amount of time. But the anticipation <laughs> has just grown. The anticipation has just been growing as uh, we get to jump into some really uh, great uh, conversation. Hopefully our audiences enjoyed uh, hearing about Central America migration and some of the, the, the issues that are kind of leading to that. And then uh, hearing about uh, HIV AIDS throughout the world. Uh, in these conversations episodes and and you know as I was thinking through what other topics could we jump into um, foster care you know just right really jumped up uh, to the top of my list um, and for a couple reasons it's actually funny I was uh, over even the other day um, at a neighbor's house uh, and we were just kind of talking about work I think when people hear you know that we work in care reform or global child welfare or whatever we want to call this space um, you know, they they jump and they think about foster care. And they said, you know, hey, our foster care system here in Washington state is is messed up, you know? Like, have you seen places where foster care is working? And I said, well, funny that you should ask. I have four professionals uh, that will be joining uh, on our podcast in a few uh, days and, and, and here we are. So I'm really excited uh, to get into uh, this conversation. And I do think it's interesting when we think about foster care, you know, a lot of our audience is living in the states where, you know, foster care kind of has a bad rap. Uh, and sometimes that's warranted. Uh, I think if we're really honest about it, uh, whether it is different forms of bureaucracy or different interests with that are kind of melded into that space or just kind of poor structuring or uh, poor preventative efforts at the forefront of it. Uh, I, I think that while we absolutely have seen and engaged with so many amazing people that are involved in foster care here in the U.S., um, we also recognize that there are a lot of flaws. So sometimes even for us, when we're talking with, um, you know, individuals and saying, yeah, we want to see kids get into family. Um, we don't want to see kids growing up in residential care. Um, and if they say, well, you just want to get them into foster care, foster care is terrible. Why would you do that? Um, I think that that is, uh, where a lot of people are coming into this conversation. But of course we recognize that if we are going to see kids cared for and protected, um, it's really important that we have a range of services available. And sometimes for a given child in a given case, that can be through foster care. So, um, what I appreciate about the people that are on this call today that I'll introduce here in a moment um, is that they are those people that are stepping into this space and saying sometimes kids need alternative family, um, hopefully just temporarily, but sometimes even to the point of permanency. Um, and these are people that are that are doing good work in, in varied contexts. So 
Um, I'm going to just kind of give a quick rundown of who's on the call and then let each of our guests introduce themselves. So on the call today, I have uh, returning to us Ian Forber-Pratt, who is with uh, Siri International, has done work uh, in India, Sri Lanka. Um, I have Sibilu Boja, who is with uh, Bethany Christian Services Global. Uh, I have Tara Garcia with Identity Mission in Honduras. And I have Martis Gravenstein with Kin Culture in the Republic of South Africa. Uh, really excited uh, to pick these guys' brains and, and also have them build on one another as we get into this really important conversation. So uh, I'm going to go uh, first to the, the who I like to say, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Ian Forber-Pratt. Ian, can you just uh, briefly introduce yourself? Obviously, you've been on the show before, but just introduce yourself and even share a little bit uh, of how you know you've done work in foster care and what that space has looked like. Absolutely. Well, I'm grateful to be back again. I'm grateful that this this podcast exists and to get to know um, the other panelists on here. It's really exciting stuff. Um, Brandon, I really liked that setup. I think it's really messy and complicated, um, but really important to talk about how foster care is positioned globally, um, as well as to be very honest about some of the the problems that are baked into the foster care system especially when it's thought of as being the only way. And I'll get into that a little bit. Um, but as an introduction, I am the Deputy Executive Director at an organization called Siri, Children's Emergency Relief International. And my partner and I and our two kids have been lucky to, to live around the globe doing work, especially in seeding foster care systems, most recently in India and right now in Sri Lanka. Um, but I've got experience currently through my Siri work with offices in South Africa also. We have an office in Ladysmith. Um, we've got an office in Guatemala, one in Sri Lanka, as I mentioned, India, and one in Moldova. Um, and so I've been part of also uh, kind of intimately working with the foster care system throughout the U.S. as well. Um, and I think that to frame this conversation, talking about foster care, Brandon, I think you hit on a point, again, that's really important, is that it really is one of the temporary measures of care and protection of children in a family-based environment. And I'll just flag kind of the extreme of how it might go wrong to frame the conversation of what can go right, because I think there are both sides of the spectrum. Uh, but Many years ago, a whole number of us were part of kind of seeding foster care in India, legislative change, changing laws, helping to train up social workers, et cetera. And as we did that, some people with not the best of intentions came in and said, you know what? Um, adoption is taking quite a long time. We're going to go to people and tell them that they can foster and get a child forever. And foster care is not a forever arrangement. And so what happened one is then people started taking children into foster care thinking that they were adopting and those children would be with them forever, where foster care fundamentally is a place where a family can see healing and maybe that child is reunited. Or if a family is not able to realize healing, then some sort of permanent arrangement can be found for that child. And panelists, please correct me if you feel like there's anything that I'm not saying correctly. Um, but what we found is that unless foster care is done really intentionally and that the skills are built around it in any one of the, the country contexts, 
including a reskilling in the U.S., um, there are potentials for it to go wrong as well. So I could go on and on, um, but I hope that kind of catalyzes our conversation. Um, yeah. That's really good. Yeah, thanks, Ian. And and good to have that context And uh, as we kind of think through. And, uh, you know, speaking of context, this does vary from, you know, one place to another. So I'm going to come to Tara next. Tara, can you just uh, briefly introduce yourself as well as the work that you guys are doing at Identity Mission? Sure. Great. And so excited to be here with you guys. And um, just this conversation, I'm super grateful to get to be a part of it and share what's happening in Honduras. So my husband and I were co-founders of Identity Mission, been living and doing this work in Honduras for about 15 years. Um, it started out um, eight years of working with orphanages. And so I think it kind of just gave us this um, really neat perspective of, of, of both sides and, and definitely what the Lord was doing across the, the country um, and bringing the church and the organizations back to the foundation of family and why kids need that. And so in 2015, we founded Identity Mission solely with the goal of starting foster care as a private agency. And so right away, we worked with the government in two regions, started foster care. We also have a family preservation program that just very naturally goes right alongside of foster care when there's opportunity to prevent that separation. And so um, just we partner strongly with the local church and with the government and uh, collaborate a lot with other organizations. Um, what uh, branched off of that is a conference. So annually we have a conference as well, just to bring everyone in the orphan care sector around a table and collaborate and bring unity to our very small country um, that we really believe we can see the day when there's no more kids in orphanages. And so that's our prayer and our life's work. So That's good. Thank you so much, Tara. Uh, Sabilu, maybe just a brief introduction of yourself as well as uh, the work that you guys are doing at Bethany Global in the foster care space. Yes, uh, thank you, Brandon, and thank you uh, all for the opportunity to share um, what we do here at Bethany. I am Sibilu, um, based in Ethiopia, and um, part of the the global team uh, that's based in in uh, in the U.S. I've been with Bethany for for thirteen years, um, and my involvement has largely been in kind of the continent of Africa, although Bethany has been doing foster care in the U.S. and and, and in China and other parts of the world uh, for many years. So I would, for, for our conversation, I would probably limit myself to our work in Africa um, and mainly in Ethiopia where I live. But with, I've been involved in the development of foster care um, in Ethiopia, Ghana, um, Zambia, South Africa, and and uh, lately in Uganda um, through a partner. So um, we've, do, I would say we've been doing kind of different variants of foster care in, in 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 these different countries. But what is common, I guess, across all of the five countries I mentioned, is that we've been involved uh, in working with organizations trying to do transition towards family-based care and using foster care as one of the care options. Um, it takes a different route in each country and context, and, and all of these countries I mentioned have different laws and regulations, and and depending on how we've been called into the work, um, it has taken different routes, which I'll be sharing as the conversations go. But again, happy to be here joining this uh, panel. 
Yeah, thanks so much, Sibilu. I, I feel like one of the reasons I wanted to have both you and Ian on is uh, not just, you know, Ian in India or you in Ethiopia, but that you guys have actually been able to touch into other countries as well. So hopefully we get as broad of a perspective as possible. Um, uh, last but not least, Martis, would you just uh, introduce yourself and the work that you guys are doing in South Africa? Yes, thank you. Uh, my name is Martis. Um based in Cape Town, South Africa, and uh, working with an organization called Kin Culture with the idea that um, fam uh, that children uh, in foster care belong in families. Uh, so what's, uh, basically what we do and, and how we go, go about things is we, we work with churches, we work with governments, um, and then obviously we, we're very closely connected to, to the social work sector on our side. Um, and it's interesting to to hear some just even at the start just some some of the uh, kind of tones coming through from other countries. Um, you know, even though we're in Africa, I think people in South Africa forget that um, that um, we're you're in South Africa, which means you're in Africa. You don't go into Africa; you're already in Africa. But you know, just just understanding that um, a lot of the realities we face here are very similar to. Um, other countries in Africa, even even some of the more Western um, places, even like the US. So, uh, kind of our little pipeline would be, you know, we would work with churches almost exclusively to recruit Christian families. We provide social services and we support those families. Um, and then we do a lot of work um, to create awareness in South Africa. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward just to, to hear some perspectives from, from uh, this panel. Um, just because we're, we're, we're a passionate bunch and we're quite a young organization, you know, so sometimes we um, uh, go where angels fear to tread, right? So um, yeah, look, looking forward to, to hearing what you guys have to say. Thanks. Well, thanks, Martis. I'm really glad that you can uh, join this conversation as well. I feel like we have a good gamut here. And you know, one of the things that you alluded to there, Martis, is even around awareness. Now, this is something that we have uh, discussed, you know, in the past, you know, for people to be aware of foster care. Um, obviously, you can't have foster care without foster families. So the first topic I kind of want to get into is, you know, as you guys have pioneered foster care within your, you know, general population, the main context that you've worked in, um, how have they responded to this concept of foster families or foster care? Um, and I'll come to Ian first here, but maybe even speak to, you know, were there existing forms of alternative family care that were already in place? You know, how did your initiatives potentially coalesce with those existing forms? And, you know, even what does recruitment look like? Uh, Ian, how did you find this in some of your work in Asia? Absolutely. Um the first thing is that it, of course, will vary drastically between cultural contexts. Um, although, of course, with anything, there will be some similarities. In India, for example, the predominant way of care and protection of children is um, like kind of kinship care, non-formal, non-regulated type of kin taking care of their grandchildren or taking care of their nieces and nephews and those types of things. So. Children outside of their mother and father's care was fairly typical. But because of the caste system and religious differences and all those things in India, children outside of their family was not a common thing. 
And so the idea of foster care, actually, because foster care has different kind of meanings and vernacular out there, too. Some countries might say foster care and include kin. Some might say foster care are only those who are unrelated to the child. And so that definition will, will change as well. But I'm getting a little into the weeds there. Um, the question about awareness was interesting because in, in Rajasthan, the state in India where we first started, no one had heard of the concept of foster care. There wasn't really even a Hindi translation for it, which was the predominant of the majority language spoken in the area that I was working. And so we had to understand what it looked like in the local language. And then there is, in marketing, there's the rule of sevens, which is, and there are lots of different theories around this, but the idea that someone needs to hear about a concept at minimum seven times before they can even start thinking about their relation with said concept. And so what we needed to do was build awareness, and we're doing the same thing in Sri Lanka right now, by a multidimensional kind of access to the concept of foster care. And I can relate this to adoption, which many viewers hopefully might have had a little more familiarity with, the concept of adoption. Um, whenever I've worked with adoptive families in India who say, my extended family do not want anything to do with adoption. How can we make them aware of this? The idea is before saying we are adopting, our family is adopting, they need their family members need to hear about the concept of adoption seven times outside of within their family. So they need to watch a movie on adoption or they need to hear about a story within their culture about adoption or they need to read a book about adoption. And so we took that same kind of concept around foster care even to the extent that we like had a camel pulling a, a signboard around town that was talking about foster care. So what happened was that as we increased the awareness around adoption, and we did evidence-based research around this, we found that the misconceptions increased. Some people thought adoption and foster care were the same thing. And so once we got awareness around the new vernacular, the new concept of foster care, we really need to then help people be able to explain it for themselves. That's the next stage. First stage is you've heard the word and you're familiar with the word and a nebulous idea of the concept. The second is then getting the masses to be able to explain what is foster care to their neighbor or to their friend or during a, a, a dinner. And so we had to have an awareness campaign that helped kind of challenge people about do you truly understand foster care? And that looks like having publications and that. Now, these days, it's all about podcasts. It's all about TikTok videos. It's all about all the different use of social media. Then after you have stage of awareness, I've heard the word. Then you've got awareness, I know that I can actually say what is this thing. Then you need to move to them being able to associate the concept with themselves and their willingness to do it. And that whole kind of lean is a concept called reflective competence, where they're kind of looking at what is my own familiarity and then willingness to opt in with the concept. And after seven years of work with the population, we learned that people understood the concept but still weren't willing to do it within their family because of the cultural barriers. So it takes that much work. So I'm sorry I'm speaking too much, but... Um, Hopefully that gives no. That's I mean, I mean, it's really helpful. I, in it, 
really feels like it's a big boulder to try to push up a hill. Um, and, and, and it takes a lot of time and you could even get to the end of it. Like, look, if we were to survey, you know, the average, if I were to walk out the streets of downtown Tacoma here and just ask somebody, do you know what foster care is? They would be able to more or less say, yeah, this is what it is. And they would have at least a cursory understanding of what it is. Now, does that mean that they're willing to become foster families? No. Right. So, so even that's kind of what I hear. I'm going to come to Tara next and just kind of hear a little bit about how did you guys go about this? I, I'm, I'm assuming that you guys don't have camels that you can utilize in Honduras or anything. Uh, but how did you find this as you were guys were pioneering this in Honduras? Yeah, um, that sounds super fun. I've already pictured in my head horses. We have horses, so I'm ready for that. Um, yeah, I mean, very similar uh situations, not knowing even what the word is. So we have to talk around that, the confusion right away between adoption and foster care. Um, and so when we launched foster care, we actually went to get some training from Casa Viva Costa Rica, which is just a great organization that's been doing a, a decade longer than us. And so that was back in 2015. And so we just adopted their model of the local church. It was successful for them. We jumped all in. Um, we'd already had some experience with partnering. You know, the local church just maximizes your efforts and your team, you know, and, and so we jumped in with that. And in all honesty, we were pleasantly surprised by the response um, of the, the church, the, the couples that just wanted to, to begin fostering. And, um, and they just rocked it. They got it. They rocked it. Of course, we had training. And this is, you know, uh, nine years later, um, just really, really love the heart of the Christian people just jumping in on this. Of course, we also had the same, you know, struggles of, you um, what the rest of the extended family thinks they were really a lot of families didn't foster because they had trouble with that concept and what their families thought about it because you kind of only take care of your own blood that's a that's a really cultural issue here and i'm um, just really explaining hardcore what happens when a child develops in orphanages compared to when they develop in family helped a lot i would also say scripture has been a huge um, way that we've been able to get the message of cross. And so when they hear the call, when they understand James one twenty seven and all of this, like it really opens doors. And, you know, like, it's not like we didn't, they didn't know all these verses before or go to orphanages with pinatas because of that verse, but they started to really understand what their call was in this space. And so while it's still, you know, there's not enough foster families and we've had years of 20 foster families recruited that year and compared to three in a year, you know, we've seen the gamut. Um, but definitely pleasantly surprised of when I think all it really takes is understanding and awareness and that takes work. But once, once they have that, um, it definitely can be successful and families come out of the woodwork. And I, I would last, last note, um, just jumping off hearing from N, I would say families recruit families best. And so when you can get a foster family in front of a group, when they see, I, I, when they see the child, you know, with them and they see them just, Oh, it's normal. You have, you know, they're part of the family. You just do life normally. That really has been a big part of helping break some of those cultural barriers. So. Hey guys, I wanted to pop in really quick to personally invite you to join me, Phil, and scores of other orphan care leaders at KFO 2023. The summit is September 20th through 22nd in Oklahoma City and is hosted by the Christian Alliance for Orphans, an alliance of more than 250 respected organizations and a global network of churches committing to helping every child experience God's unfailing love in a thriving family. 
CAFO 2023 is an unforgettable gathering of more than 2,000 Christian leaders, parents, and practitioners coming together from over 50 countries to worship and learn from best-in-class speakers and leaders. Speakers include author Katie Davis Majors and Bible expositor Dr. Mamusha Fenta, as well as past Think Orphan guests like psychiatrist Kurt Thompson and CAFO president Jed Medifin. There will also be music and worship with special guests Shane and Shane and worship leaders of Wadi Moro. Wow, that is such a lineup. If you are currently serving in or interested in learning more about foster care and adoption, best practices in global orphan care, Christian nonprofit leadership, or church-based ministry, you don't want to miss the wisdom, truth, and guidance at this event. Learn more and register today at kfo2023.org or just click the link in our show notes. Prices go up August 31st, so don't wait. I hope to see you in OKC. Ooh, I think that that's a really important, uh, hopefully if, if somebody's listening to this podcast and, and wanting to explore foster care as one potential service for your organization, I feel like what, what, uh, Tara said there at the end is really, is really pertinent. Um, Sibilu, I'd be interested, you know, being an Ethiopian and working in Ethiopia, um, we're obviously familiar that there are various forms of family care that don't just look like, oh, the kid is in the nuclear family. There are other forms of care, of course. Um, and I'm just kind of interested to kind of hear as far as, you know, the work that you guys did in Ethiopia. I know you guys, and we'll touch on the church piece uh, that both Martis and Tara have already alluded to. Um, but I would just be kind of interesting, you know, were there already existing forms of alternative family care in place in Ethiopia? And, you know, what what did it look like for your foster care initiative to maybe uh, coalesce or diverge from some of those existing forms? What did this look like for you guys? Yeah, great question. So I'm quite amazed to hear that they, they just the commonalities of kind of what was shared and what we faced here in Ethiopia and in other places. It's just how people, uh, when we introduced the concept, how difficult is wrapping their minds around the concept without having a local term for it. So we still don't have a term for foster care. And 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 for for us, the best way to explain it was, this is how it's different from adoption and this is how it's different from orphanage, right? So, and and for people, I think it, it kind of got difficult to really understand because there was nothing that they could clearly relate to because it didn't exist, right? So that, that was the challenge. But we took the approach of kind of really going kind of small scale before we tried to do like a large, big campaign type of awareness. So we used actually what we have called like the family, uh, biblical foundations for family-based care. We had a all modules for that and and we took pastors through that training and we got like a strong buy-in from them and just because they were able to see how foster care could be really groundbreaking because it moves the kind of the concept of care out of the extended family and it it kind of widens it to this the to the idea of adopting or taking in a child that's not related to you Right, that that was groundbreaking. So for the pastors, it was really that spiritual message that was 
that they resonated with very well. And they they were quickly able to grasp and and say, this can be done in 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 my in my church in my in my community, and and so it's not like we we I think the route was that was the feasible route for us because it was a way to kind of pilot it and and try it small and see if this works and then we can potentially take it to other places and so we piloted it in a very small city and and working with fewer churches and and that's how it began. But uh, to your point, when where kinship care is so common, and people are used to the idea of permanent care, both under kinship care and, and adoption, it was hard to introduce foster care as a temporary care option. So what we did was soon after our we introduced, we realized that that's not going anywhere. So we had to change even the name to say like this is a foster to adopt program. Because for people, if once they take in a child, it has to be permanent, right? Like I can't take care of a child for three months and then leave them alone. So it's it was really important for us to also build the next layer so that they could see permanency through that. But the other piece that I, I think that was also a challenge, I would say, was the idea of formal foster care, right? Everything, kinship care is informal. We had adoption. That is deeply ingrained in the culture. That is informal. So the idea of foster, formal foster care was quite new. So our way of introducing that was to say that we're not re- asking you to do anything that is not your that you currently is not doing for for your biological kids. We're basically assessing you for your fitness to be a parent to this child that is potentially abused or has gone through really hard and rough um, situations, so that we can. You can be the the families that could set the example for the rest of the country that we can showcase that this can work in in, in Ethiopia and beyond. So this was kind of our approach. But the the existing forms of care, I would say to a large extent, didn't help us a lot uh, to be to be fully transparent. But it was a, a way for us to define the concept of foster care more clearly. It helped us to define it in in a better way, I would say. Yeah, you know, and you you mentioned something in there, Sibilu, that I kind of want to tap into because when we talk about, okay, but foster care is one form of alternative care. Alternative care meaning, you know, care of a child alternative to their family of origin, so to speak. And, you know, different people will have different uh, spots where they put kinship care as one of those placements. Now, having come from a working in sub-Saharan Africa as well, where I saw how common it was for informal care within a kinship to take place. For me, it was hard to say that that's alternative care because that's pretty traditional. Like that's just common. And and the kid could still form those attachments and receive care and protection, you know, if they're living with their grandmother, or their auntie or whoever. All right. So that kind of aside, if we do talk about aside from that form of care, but actually look at alternative care, including residential care, right? So residential care is a form of alternative care. And often what we see in those places is kids are like aging out at 18, right? So they might go in when they're five, six, seven years old or whatever it is, but they don't leave until they're 18, right? Until their childhood is essentially over. And so in a way, that's almost like permanence. Now we know the outcomes for those children and they're not great. 
But in some ways, this idea of foster care as a temporary measure, is that undermined by the permanency that residential care is often supported with? I don't know if anybody has any kind of thoughts. It just kind of struck me as you were talking, Sabilu, and, and even what you were saying, Ian, in terms of foster care is supposed to be temporary, but so many of our alternative care placements take the kid all the way through the end of their childhood. I don't know if anybody wants to kind of jump on uh, that. Maybe Ian, what do you got, buddy? Yeah, um, it's all about mindset. So any foster parent that goes into it thinking about permanence, and this is only my opinion, so please push back in any way that feels appropriate. Um, any foster parent that goes into foster care thinking about permanence is not doing foster care. And I know that's a big, bold statement. It takes a special type of individual that is thinking about the greater good. And whether that's on religious lines, whether that's on altruism lines, whatever it looks like, foster care is a really nuanced, difficult thing to do because the fundamental aspect of it is that you are being kind of a mentor, a guide, a temporary guardian for a child that you will not have forever. Um, foster care, when it becomes a pipeline to adoption, is a scary thing because it sets up a really inequitable equation because the idea first and foremost of foster care, to my understanding, and again, please correct me um, if I'm wrong, is the idea that you are a safe place that is a family-based environment where that child can grow and be nurtured and not in an institution, while the sincere hope is that they can return safely, appropriately, suitably to their family environment as close to their culture of origin as possible. And if you're doing that, you're doing that because you are okay with it being a temporary arrangement. Now, the incredible fruits of that that I've seen over and over again is that foster families then become part of the kind of network and extended family, air quotes, of that child forever. I know foster families that have fostered 45, 50 children. They knew it was temporary, but those young people keep in touch with them. And of course, to the level of the connection, some come back for holidays, some write notes, some don't keep in touch with them fully. But the, it's, it's a security, I'm sorry I'm saying so much. Um, but the idea is that foster care is one of the only ones, uh, provisions of alternative care that is foundationally temporary. And you need someone whose mindset can stomach or can handle that temporary nature. And it's not everybody. Yeah, no, that's really helpful, Ian. And, you know, anecdotally, even from working in foster care here in the States, um, I would say when we were interacting with prospective foster parents or foster parents that had been serving for a time, those that approach the organization with just the idea of we want to be temporary safe placement for a child that needs it, they were more valuable to our agency than somebody that came and said, we want to foster to adopt. And even that term foster to adopt is a dirty term to some people. I'm aware of that. Um, and yet some kids do need permanency. Adoption is also necessary. But it is kind of interesting. Um, I'm going to go to Phil, and then I'm going to go to Martis. Uh, Phil, what would you? How, how would you speak into this? 
Yeah, I'm just going to keep it short, but uh, for me, that might be longer than some people go. Um, but uh, the reality is, I mean, this is one of the reasons we we wrote In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence back in the day. It was, there There are, I think we need to do a better job up front recognizing there will be some children who don't have living family members that we know of. And to say that that's foster care, I think is doing it a disservice to the foster carers because the foster carers, I agree, like words matter. And we need to understand that the definitions of these terms are important if we're going to keep them what they need to be. So I 100% agree that there are children that the idea is it's temporary to be able to either rehabilitate um, or help a, a family get into a place where they are able to care for those children at the level that they need to be cared for so that everyone can flourish, including the parents. Um, and and so that is something that is critical. Um, but then we, we lump into that category these kids who are part of that. We always talk about 80 to 90 percent of kids have living family members that are in orphanages or that are, you know, right. But that still leaves 20, 10 to 20 percent of children who need something different. And so what is that something different? And if we put all the eggs into any basket, we're going to leave kids in a lurch and we're going to do a disservice to the foster care that is happening. So we need to understand that we, it, in order to keep it excellence in every area, we need to make sure that we're not using these terms interchangeably and we're not putting all these kids into one basket that need care because foster care is a part of the answer. And, you know, and family and adoption is part of the answer. And in some countries, the spiritual adoption that we talked about in the In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence is part of the answer. And so if we try to put it all into one, and I've seen this happen in governments around the world, I mean, as we say with everything, the problem with governments is people. The problem with foster care is people. The problem with adoption is people. And the beautiful thing about all these things is people too. Right. So there are people who are doing it in ways that are not good, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Like there is there is excellence and incredible things going on and they're about that. And we need to we need to discern which is which so that we can do it all with excellence. So that's that's really what I'm I'm thinking as I hear everyone. And by the way, I want to make sure that I, I do say um, uh for those of you who have not listened to the initial interview we did with Ian, he talks a lot about how he, um, in that in that interview with Kelly Stewart back in the day, that goes way back, but talks about really what the uphill battle it was to get the government in India to understand even the concept of foster care. So I realize there's going to be different people in different parts of the world that they say they're doing foster care, but it looks nothing like some of the stuff we're talking about here. And so that's all I'd say is words matter. Distinctions are really important to make so that we can understand that there are some children that are that are in different situations than others, and we can't put it all into the foster care is the answer bucket. Yeah, thanks. Um, sorry, I thought I'd jump in there. Um, the conversation was getting so good. I was scared I'm not going to get a chance. But um, yeah, in South Africa, um, our perspective, or, or at least our context, um, for, or Ian, this, this isn't really a push. It is a pushback, but it's also uh, just the reality for us, you know, is we, foster care in South Africa seems to be uh, crisis control. Maybe it's everywhere, just crisis control all the time. 
and we feel like the only the maybe in Phil's words the the children are being left in the lurch you know so um there aren't enough social workers uh, resources are scarce um families biological families are burdened um a lot of social issues you know which is probably the, the cause of foster care and then in the end you know that this child is being passed from from kinship care to to residential care and then move yeah there's just no stability no permanence which is a big thing in, in our children's act um and for us just getting back to the the piece on on awareness and and what we've seen in that space is you're spot on on that one i think we also get the foster to adopt one you know we it's 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 quite a dangerous game to play but um foster care for us with what we've seen is, is we get, we're thankful and grateful for for long-term foster care just because on our side what we see is that you know social workers they don't get it once the placement's been made they're it's like they, they've disappeared there's they you know they don't attend to the case you know, there's no work being done on the biological parent side and the only work that gets done is maybe a few weeks before the the court date <laughs> reappears on the calendar you know so um you know on our side we we see a lot of um foster care foster care placements are for a minimum of two years and then um you know it kind of goes back to court on a two-year cycle um many times just ending up uh, in in long-term foster care so uh just just to make the point that we we have a lot of uh, kinship uh, care as well over, over here um and although we don't necessarily promote foster to adopt we, we in a sense almost promote uh, long-term foster care uh, with our families just because in so in our province which is the western province which is where cape town is you know the 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 rate or the percentage or statistics of reunification is is, is so low you know children just stay in the system forever um, which which isn't really something we want to see um, so so with that said and then back just on the awareness piece you know we've we find people also just don't understand the difference between adoption and foster care um, in South Africa. And that would be outside of the kinship care, you know, because obviously in South Africa, we have the interesting little piece of, of um, I mean, maybe we're still quite fresh into democracy, you know, coming out of apartheid. And that had, um, that's obviously created a system where I live in a, in a suburb, which is quite affluent and probably about 20 to 30 kilometers down the road, you know, you have, um, an area or location you know where it's it's culture very much different looks very much different you know infrastructure is different church is different you know and, and then it's just there's this massive disconnect or disparity between um between what things look like and even just church look like and how we work you know and for that reason we do work in very specific um ways and and kind of go about our work in, in very specific ways so yeah thanks yeah no, it's really, really helpful, and and I feel like even the dynamic that you're describing there, Martis, we could probably dig into quite a bit. What does foster care look like in post-apartheid South Africa? That sounds like a podcast episode in and of itself. Um, Sabilu, uh, obviously, you know, permanency is is here. It's part of the conversation. Um, what what are your thoughts on all of this? So I guess I I I see an irrespective of kind of the care options the that you described earlier, Brandon, I think it's important to 
think of the concept within a continuum, right? And where foster care sits in that in that spectrum. And to me, it's like it can go both ways, right? Both right and left. It's whether you want to move it to to adoption with the proper case management, proper assessment, and 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 so forth. That is that means that option needs to be available. And if it leads to reunification back to the family of origin, I guess based on best interest determination, that is also a possibility, right? So I think it's it's what I think what is culturally appropriate that we need to be also looking at, right? I don't think, and working in many different countries, I haven't seen what I would call like a universal definition of foster care. So what countries' laws call foster care may vary. And then within the foster care itself, then you have different variants, right? Like what Martis referred to as long-term foster care, it was now recently included in in our um, directive in Ethiopia for alternative care, which didn't exist before, uh, because they saw the need for families who wouldn't want to adopt, then that option needs to be available within the foster care space. So all to say that while we look for permanency, I think we can still use uh, foster care to go both ways. That's uh, what I was trying to say, whether we want to go the route of prevent back to family uh, of origin or whether we want to ensure permanency through adoption, I think that possibility needs to be kept. And there is a possibility and we've seen it um, working in, in countries where we're currently working. That's great. I just, I want to, something you said, Sebulu, um, was just really great for the context here in Honduras of like working, using what's working culturally. And so when we started foster care very organically partnering with, it was actually a whole new governmental system. They had gotten rid of the old one for corruption, started a new welfare system. We had a, just an amazing opportunity to introduce foster care. And what was happening there in the, there was, there's no foster to adopt still here in Honduras and it's swung both ways. But was, what was happening originally when it was literally just the people on the ground and the new government workers just trying to figure it out and get kids in home was when a child, when their case reached where they were adoptable, they just came in and asked the family, hey, they've been with you three years. Do you want to adopt them? And in all honesty, we all know from, you know, from research and practice, it's best to not move a kid again. And so it was wonderful because that's everybody was just. Our, our social workers and psychologists and the government social worker and psychologists, we just sat at a table and said, what's best for this child? And then, of course, the adoption representative. And so that's what was happening organically at the beginning of foster care. And now nine days, nine days, nine years later, you know, these big convers these big global conversations have really complicated what everyone's doing on the ground because our government workers are confused. They're hearing, we've heard this now. This is like the word and adoptions. Foster to adopt is bad because they've chosen their families. And so now this is just complicating what kind of organically among in the culture among the people was happening really, really well. And so I think, you know, that's just something that as NGOs, um, you know, we really should start to consider what's happening culturally. How can we truly empower, you know, and help without hurting and all of that come back to that conversation. Um, and I think some of it is super simple when I hear the, you know, the, the conversation, uh, of course, around bio family, like that's just, Hey, that's a goal. We've already learned this. 
if you can get kids back in biofamily and it's a safe, secure place, let's do that A. And so when we recruit foster families, we do our best. We're not successful every time because, you know, everybody does fall in love, attach, and doesn't want to, you know, give up their child. But from the very beginning, we try to include everyone rallying and rooting for the bio family and the kids to go back to the bio family. And that's how they're talking with the child. And that's how we're speaking about it. And then only when, you know, that doesn't happen, they get abandoned into that option office. Do we start talking about foster to adopt? And so, you know, we kind of have to start that conversation from the beginning as we're implementing this new thing into a culture. You know, we have just a beautiful opportunity to set that foundation, that bio family first, you know, and then do our best to advocate for foster to adopt because we I just that for me, it's simple. And I guess I'm not super a huge part of, you know, the high conversations to me, it's simple. What's best for this kid at this moment. And um, I kind of wish we could go back to that on our top level um, governmental conversations. Yeah, no, that's really good, Tara. And I feel like, you know, when we think about, you know, what are the principles that we live by? There's a reason why pretty much every law that governs, you know, children's welfare includes this clause in the best interest of the child. And, and I feel like that's something that you're really highlighting. There is a case by case, you know, basis. And yes, we want to we want to minimize the amount of children that are moving around. Uh, so I feel like you really uh, brought in some important things there. Um, just a quick reminder to our listeners. Uh, this uh, episode is also going to be on YouTube. So if you're a YouTube person, you can be on there. And the only reason I mention that is because for the first time, I feel as though uh, our friend Ian has basically made it where we should actually publish the chat as well, uh, which is normally just an internal thing, uh, because he is just uh, all over the chat too. But uh, Phil, what are some of your thoughts on all of this, man? Yeah, I just want to talk about that best interest determination because I and I was just down in Honduras and there's so much talk about best interest of the child determination. But in order to make a best interest of the child determination, you got to know the child and you got to really know the families, both fa- both sets of families. You got to know the foster, foster families. You got to know the the extent of how long they've been with these people. The, the, where was the biological family? Has the biological family been gone? Have they been with the there's instances I know of where they've been with these the foster families for 15, 16 years. And then the biological family shows up when the kid's 16, 17 years old. And then you look at that and go, but the, there's such a, you know, biological family is best assumption that you don't really look at that um, best interest of the child determination. So, and go, I think, Ian, you said there's, there still hasn't been done well at a legislative level because what does that even mean? Because there's so much worldview that goes into a best interest of the child determination that it really does depend on that particular government employee making a determination, whether a judge, whether, you know, it could also be a social worker, it could be, um, you know, a mix of everybody. And at the end of the day, my determination and my definition of best interest of a child, my definition of, of, you know, best concept of, of family and what does that look like is different from the next person, is different from the next person. And so it can't just be a, an economic thing. It can't just be a, well, it's biological family, therefore it's perfect, you know, because we all know that's not the case. There are amazing, incredible um, biological foster families, and there are families that are, are a complete train wreck. Now, even saying that, I know that my definition of that is different from the next person. And, you know, that's why in the U.S. there is that good enough standard. 
I'm never a fan of good enough, but I get it, right? Because otherwise we're going to make determinations that I don't like the way you parent. I sure as heck wouldn't want someone doing that in my house, coming in and saying, I don't agree with the way you parent. Therefore, I'm going to take the kids and put them into the system, right? So there's a lot of that going on around the world that the best interest of the child is somebody's determination and to put it in black and white's impossible as well. You know, that's why it's so hard at the legislative level. I'm not saying I have the answer. I'm just saying it's nuanced. And I think too often it's black and white in one direction that when you go black and white in any direction, there's issues that will arise because this is nuanced. These are all nuanced case by case determinations that I think are be, being tried to the governments, I think too often and the, and the systems are too often trying to make a general rule that applies to all. And that's where I think we're getting into trouble. Yeah, well, Phil, and I'll just, you know, say, first of all, I'm disappointed because you just say, I don't have the answer. And that's not why people listen to Think Orphan Man. They they come because they want the Phil Dark answer. They don't want the nuance. They don't want you know that, that, I, that I never give it. Uh, it's always there's no silver bullet. So if there was an answer, this show would have been one episode. They right? come here you know, there's a reason bullet. there's 200 and something episodes of this show and we're going to keep on going. Right. right, because these are nuanced. These are really, really, really hard issues, um, right? And that's and that's why it's great to have the different voices to hear. That's why, in pursuit of orphan excellence, I had fifteen authors. Right? It's not there's not one voice that's going to come up with the answer. Um, it's going to be people working together and and also taking a humble approach because that humble learning posture is so important in these areas. Because there's there's things that I had assumptions of ten years ago that are completely different now because of people I've been able to learn from. And so, and some of you are on the call right now. And so that's, that's the, that's the beauty of this stuff. If, if we do have that posture and also understand that there are things we do know and there are wrong ways to do things. Um, but to say there's one right way, I think is arrogant. Right. Well, I do feel like you uh, one up to me a little bit because I feel like I got four awesome guests for this podcast and you just said, well, I had 15 co-authors. But that aside, uh, I want to talk about uh, the government uh, piece and come to you, Tara, because, you know, you guys have been, you know, pioneering this in Honduras. And, you know, a lot of what Ian, I'll come to Ian after Tara just to kind of talk about that that government systems piece, because it is so significant. And one of the things that he is uh, populating our chat with for sure, but just kind of specific look at one single context. You know, you you guys aren't a multinational organization, Tara, and foster care is new in Honduras. So you have an opportunity to really kind of, you know, partner a lot with your government, you know, partners, which are such a critical stakeholder and the authority, you know, for anything that really pertains to uh, the care of vulnerable children. So you know, what does this look like for you, Tara? How have you partnered with or advocated to the government about foster care services? And even if you wanted to speak, I, I know uh, I'm sure that Sibilu could speak to this as well around the informal foster care piece. Uh, but what role does that play, you know, and how does the government view those arrangements? Yeah, just maybe just color a little bit that government piece for you guys, that identity mission. Great. Yeah. Um, well, the government was a huge part of our um launching identity mission prior we had been working with an organization solely focused on helping orphanages that's just kind of how we got started and then um, very organically as a public orphanages orphanage needed to be kind of emptied out foster care started between us and the government and so it was always the core piece of um of what we were doing and so to get you know as i mentioned we were able to present a formal foster care 
program uh, to the new government office and they were thrilled. And so there's some very joyful moments working with the government when you're able to fulfill a need, you know, they have. And I, I think keeping the perspective of what they're dealing with, especially, you know, um, developing country government with lack of resources and, and, and um, workers, just always keeping a perspective of what they're dealing with every day with not having a place for kids. And so even as we get frustrated with them, I think that's always a very wise perspective um, to put ourselves in their shoes. And so our initiation um, was just very, just uh, joyful, an amazing um, um, partnership. And we were able to fill a need that they had because pretty much, at, and after eight years of working with orphanages, we saw this firsthand, orphanages were full. Um, and finally things were coming out of a very uh, detrimental things happening in orphanages and the government was trying to crack down on that and they needed alternative service. And um, we were super uh, grateful that the Lord brought us to that space at that time and able to jump in and grateful for all the people that poured into us and taught us how to do um, foster care well. Um, and so we had those policies and procedures to present and we were able to hire the caseworkers to do it. And so it was just a great, um, about five years just running um, with the government with with foster care. And so I just think, you know, just speaking to others that are getting involved, um, A, we want to protect kids. So you know, don't, don't do it out. I mean, I, I, we'll talk about informal foster care, but as far as, you know, you, you know placing kids, we really want that um, umbrella of the government to do this with us. And um, it really does add that aspect of protection for kids. And we know just from our work with orphanages, there's tons of orphanages that the government doesn't even know about the kids and the kids are just stuck. You know, there's no movement for them. There's no oversight to make sure they're not being harmed. And the same thing can happen in the sector of foster care. And so we just don't want that to happen. And we have the beautiful opportunity to help a country grow foster care and hopefully not make some of those mistakes that have been made in other countries. And so we don't take that responsibility lightly. So um, partnering with the government ongoing is always going to be something we do. So um, although we obviously have had uh, years of non-collaboration, of bureaucracy, of really, really difficult stuff happening, like right now, foster to adopt is bad, just hands down. Um, and so dealing with that and those emotions um, and preparing our families for that is, has, is a very difficult space to be in and advocating constantly when you don't have economy or a collaborate, collaborative group there is very, like you want to throw on the towel almost every day. And so we've dealt for years in that space as well. And so just kind of be ready for things to change um, because as we change political parties, we change welfare um, workers as well. And so just, it's, it's very difficult, but I don't think any of us entered this work thinking it was easy. So necessary no. but difficult. <laughs> yeah necessary but difficult that that's probably a summation of this entire endeavor ian how have you kind of engaged with that space obviously you're you're big on the need for systemic government reform as one component you know in this space can you just kind of speak to that as well from some of your guys's experiences yeah tara i'd love to to jump off what you were saying about kind of you know, after whatever many years a government official is in or a political party is in or whatever, things can change. So I want to I want to change the tone a little bit to almost kind of a coaching idea, Brandon, of anyone listening to this who's thinking about starting foster care or as part of foster care reform and working with governments. One thing that that I feel grateful to be learning, not have learned, it's not done, is that Tara's point is really important that governments uh, involved, uh, sorry, that are composed of wonderful people are still fundamentally limited 
to the rhythm of turnover, elections, um, uh, political pressures, um, fads, whatever it looks like. And so I believe there has to be a huge effort put into collaboration and communication between the civil society, not-for-profit, whatever you want to say, faith-based communities um, across any faith that exists, and the government. And I think that government officials, especially at the individual level, can understand that they're part of the machine. And I believe that if it's a, a message that you as an organization, especially if you're not-for-profit leader listening to this, you're somebody who's working in the not-for-profit space, you're a government official, understanding that everybody has their strengths and weaknesses within this equation of systemic change is really important. And that's what we've learned right now. Syria is working hand-in-hand -hand with UNICEF and the Sri Lankan government to seed foster care, rewriting all the legislation. One of the big questions right now is, does foster care as an act stand alone? Does it stand as guidelines or a rule? Or does it stand as part of the Child Protection Big Picture Act and legislation? And there are kind of repercussions and positive opportunities in all of those things. And that is just one of the many pretty fundamental questions that come in. And so that no one entity can answer that question. Um, Phil, that talks a lot about what you were talking about, that there is no one correct answer. Um, so yeah, Brandon, I don't know if that, that's where you wanted me to go with it. Um, yeah, so I, I, I would also like to add that I think, and it is from what I have seen working in in Ethiopia, particularly in, in the rest of the countries I um, mentioned in Africa, is that when you take the concept, it's important that yeah, you take the whole package and not just the awareness piece. It's I think important, especially for governments that are really resource limited in, in developing economies to see that this can work, right? So therefore them to believe it, hey, you have to showcase, you have to do demonstrate that it really works. And so I think what we've done in Ethiopia particularly was not just do the, doing the awareness and show them that this is something that could help the, the alternative care space, but also demonstrate how it's done and it, that involves doing di direct services and, and you know showing how families are assessed, how kids are assessed, how best interest de determinations are made and setting up the whole process and tools that are needed for the social workforce uh, that um, is implementing it and for them to see that this can um, practically address the, the needs that they see every day. So I think it's important to go and with the approach of, of course, respecting that this is their space and that, that they would should they would willingly share that space. But it's also important to go with the solution at the same time. And and I think that has demonstrated. And for us it has really worked because once the Ethiopian government was able to see that this was doable and feasible, then we were able to move up our engagement towards the more of the systems change, right? Where now we've been spearheading um, the development of the alternative care directive for the entire country. And, and they have given us that trust because of what they have seen work. But in other places, that engagement looked different. In Ghana, it was more feeling kind of the 
the capacity gaps within the foster care workforce in, in, in Ghana and helping them with manuals, training manuals and and, and trainings and and also helping the government to flesh out the legislative more so that it it can be more practical. So it it varies. I think it's good and important and critical to map out where the gaps are before you can meaningfully engage local governments, whether that's governments that are, uh, I mean, agencies that are responsible for regulating the service or national governments that are responsible for legislations and so it takes different, I guess, um, routes, but it's, I think, important to have that assessment well done before any meaningful partnership can occur with, with governments. Right. You know, and, and I feel like you hit on a couple things in there, Sibilu, that is really critical. So if we were to say, look, we want to we want to see a foster care system operating properly as one, you know, subsystem of a broader child protection, child welfare, you know, type of, you know, system, right? So when we talk about systems, what we're saying is that there's multiple players, there's multiple, there's the social workforce, right? Which sometimes, as Martis alluded to earlier, can be inadequate, right? There's the government piece, and sometimes those legislations are there. Sometimes it's being implemented. Sometimes it's not. Um, of course, there's the children and the families themselves. All of these are a part of this more broad system. So really for us, we want to think through, you know, how can we, you know, uh, make positive change within this system? And, you know, I know a lot of our audience, you know, with us being a faith-based uh, podcast, do you look at the church as one of those change agents? Um, Tara was already alluding to this, that this was core with their own kind of recruitment and development strategy. Um, I believe Sibilu would say the same in terms of their work in Ethiopia uh, Martis, I want to come to you. I mean, how have you seen, you know, wh- wh- what what role have you seen the local church in your context uh, do and engage in terms of uh, foster care as a ministry, so to speak? What does this look like for you guys in South Africa? Yes. So, yeah, I think personally, it's, it's really been one that's grown on me uh, quite a bit over the last few years as I've engaged um, probably primarily from my organization with, with local churches. Um, and, and it's it's probably just the idea that, you know, th- there are thousands of children awaiting foster care placements and in foster care and in the system, et cetera, vulnerable in South Africa. Um, and just like many parts of the world and, and maybe similar to the U.S., uh, the South African church is, is, is quite strong and um, quite diverse. Uh, you know, it's um, especially, you know, concerning the, the doing good and and giving out things and volunteering and all those kind of things. Um, you know, and it's, it's, I've just had the sense that if there's anyone, um, any one of these stakeholders in all of uh, society, you know, who can play a really big role in, in, um, providing a home for, for foster children or, or for children, you know, it's the church. And, uh, that's, that's the piece where I've become quite passionate about. And, um, it's 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 one of these impossible things. It it seems impossible, and it probably is impossible, you know. But um, we're really trusting the Lord, you know. That that through, um, I guess it's it's about co-laboring, you know. And we do a lot of work on the on the ground, a lot of strategic work, um, you know, to work with churches and build relationships. Um, that that we can see a really a culture shift within our local churches in South Africa. Um, 
you know, so for us, what we try to do for a long, I mean, we're quite young in this space. If I listen to nine years and some of the others, you know, we've probably only been around for nine years and probably working with churches for about three or four years. But um, it's what we've seen is um, it, it takes a long time. Uh, we've, we've seen people say that it's like, even, you know, that working with pastors and churches just takes a really long time. Um, and maybe that's something that's worked for us. We've, we've just said, hey, we're here for the long game. We'll build relationship. We'll do what is needed. Um, you know, we've been fortunate to get some stage time, as we call it here, you know, and people, um, pastors don't really always um, feel at ease to give that. But, but gracious to uh, you know, to, to speak to congregations. Um, and But I think as we grow and as we mature, we're moving into a space where we want to be part of um, culture-shaping conversations and culture-shaping within local churches, you know. Because it might be, I mean, because our main thing for churches is we need to find foster families. That's, that's kind of why we speak to churches and why we build relationships. Um, but again, not every... Christian, not everyone in church might be called to become a foster family. There are many other ways to do that. Uh, so that's the kind of a space that we're growing into. And, and we've tried one or two things. And uh, just as a, a last point of interest, um, I, we did some training with some local um, pastors here from, from one of the townships close by. You know, one of the, the very interesting pieces that, uh, or comments that came from, uh, from that was, so we, we try to punt and, and to uh, kind of shape conversations around supporting foster families, you know. So in a church, there are many resources, many things people can do. You can do with money, you can do meals, you can whatever. Um, and then the one pastor said, because um, these, these are real issues for us, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult for us to, to think about caring for children in foster care when we can't even look after ourselves, you know, just, just relating to poverty and... And all those kind of things. So that's a real challenge um, in the local church. And um, but yeah, I think that's that's um, kind of where we work is is really recruiting primarily with churches. We network with pastors, board relationships, and we're trying to get into the space of 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 providing resource and stuff to to shape culture in churches. That's really good. Well, it makes sense why you put culture right uh, in the name of your organization, I suppose. Uh, Tara, what does this look like for you in Honduras? And then we'll go to Sibilu after Tara. Awesome. Yeah, this is, I think this is the conversation that gets me most excited. Um, I, I truly believe the, the local church is the largest untapped resource that can, you know, take on so many of these issues way beyond what we can do as an organization. And so when we started out, you know, that was our primary goal was recruit foster families in the local church, recruit foster families. And so um, we found ourselves doing all of the wraparound services for our foster families, finding all of the community services for our family preservation families, and just burning ourselves out very quickly and needing more staff and <laughs> all of the things. And then, you know, very organically over, you know, first five, six years, one church would just grab onto the vision and just, you know, had like 10 foster families and they just started to do the baby showers when they received a baby, birthday parties, some lady provided the cake every time. And so these organic um, initiatives started to happen and we were starting to be like, oh, wait, you know, we always said we do this through the local church, but are we real? How are we really doing this? And so actually it was this year that the Lord kind of pivoted us. I mean, several things in place throughout the years, but just the examples of some of the churches that grabbed onto the vision. We had one 
for family preservation. We found this family was a single mom with special needs child. And we started to provide our services for her while a church stepped in with us. And all of a sudden they were doing everything. And, you know, we were providing the follow-up with a social worker, but that was it. They took on everything for her and just loved on her and got her her own business and all these great things. And so just really had to pivot around that awareness of, oh, what does this look like um, for us not growing us as an organization, but us instead equipping growing the church. And so we've actually really put some of this stuff in place. We um, got certified to give the church a, a formal training and running an orphan care program. I'm from Backyard Orphans out of Texas, just from a chance meeting that we always know the Lord sets up. And so I'm just really excited to kind of step back and reevaluate all that's going on in Honduras and how the church has the role. Um, and it's not necessarily all of us organizations at the front, but the church at the front and how we can empower that. And I know there's so many pieces to that that I can't share right now, but just to have that 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 mindset of um, um, how to raise up the local church to be the answer for these families and, um, and really provide those services. And I mean, I think we'd all say, you know, when Christianity began way back, the church was the one who answered the, the orphan care problems. It wasn't the government, right? Like it was always the church who provided and, and gave each to everyone as they had need and acts. And so just kind of just reevaluating how we're approaching the issues and the place of the church. Yeah, so I would also add that I think, and I, I would say I I wouldn't see any other way we could do foster care without a local exchange. I think the very critical partner, not just for recruiting families, but also for uh, ingraining the concept into the culture. I would say for with with what we have seen over a decade of working in Ethiopia, we've seen a big culture shift, and 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 adoption and, and foster care has come out as like a new social structure, if you will, within within the, the family setting. So it's it's, it's a great uh, um, avenue, I think, of engagement. But I would also add that the, the our our engagement has also evolved over time, where now we're not just seeing using local churches to recruit families, but also seeing the need to engage workers. I mean, to local churches participate more on the prevention side. And this is actually coming from them. They're saying, why only, you know, adopt? Why only do foster care after a crisis? We can do more to prevent that within the church and in our community. So it's really opening their eyes to the needs in their communities and also mobilizing resources to meet uh, those needs. So I, I, I think it's important to plan and, and envision broadly what that engagement looks like with the church and not just uh, looking at them narrowly in terms of, you know, getting families fostered or the adoptive families. Yeah, you know, and, and one thing that I, I just want to add to this is we talk about the church being so important for so many different reasons. And one of the one of the things one of the organizations that we've been wanting to get on for a long time is, is uh, it used to be Foster the Bay here in California. Now it's Foster the City, and a lot of what they're talking about and what they've done is they've seen that a lot of foster families bail after maybe one or two placements, and um, and so what they've done is had the local church have three or four families per foster family, where those three or four families are assigned to those foster families to do the wraparound care. That it's not just 
piecemeal to say, oh, we need meals, we need a baby shower, we need a, you know, or a, we need a, you know, a, a, some sort of help. It's these families are part of the fostering. They are doing it with them. And, and to not be lonely, to not be alone, I think is so important. And it's something that is so good. So hopefully we'll get them on um, here in the, in the relatively near future to be able to just add to the conversation. It's not, again, it's not the answer. It's not the right way. It's just, it's something they're doing that's working. And they went from having, I think it was like seven foster families in one of the counties in California to hundreds of foster families in the county. Um, and they continued doing it because it was, it was part of something bigger and people were able to be a part of it. We've always said that on this show, you know, it just, not everyone's called the foster, but we're all called to love these children in some way. And so these just allows those opportunities for those families who aren't necessarily called the foster at this time. So that's something that I just uh, get excited about. I get really excited about that. Just seeing how, how the church can be, how can the church can be part of, part of, part of the answer. And I want to be clear to say part of the answer too, right? Because I think that God is, God is working in all these different ways is obviously, I think the church is one of his vehicles in order to do that. There's a lot of common grace going on around the world as well. So um, I, I definitely want to, you know, just point that out as well. Right. And shout out to Jason Johnson's episode earlier this year where he gets into that specifically as well, which I think is an important caveat. All right. Well, I, I think as advertised with these four brilliant minds, we've had a great conversation. We just got one more rapid fire question for each of you guys. And I would just encourage, you know, if you're listening to this and you want to learn more, and we've touched on a few different continents in terms of what foster care looks like in these respective areas. And obviously this is way too broad than what we can fit into an hour and 20 conversation. Um, but there's opportunity for growth. So uh, what I would love, uh, we'll go around the horn, rapid fire, quick answers. Um, and I'm going to start with, uh, I'm going to start with Tara this time. Um, so if someone is listening to the show and they have an interest in pioneering a foster care ministry in their country or their respective context, what would be your one piece of advice for them to consider first? Tara, go first. One piece. Um, I would say raise up locals. Be prepared to really invest in local staff. Martis, same question. Yeah, I would say um, it's it's a pretty big pie. So I'd say find your piece of the pie and um, and just say yeah, just get in on it, work hard, and and just know your your part. That's good, Ian. What would be that one piece of advice? I'd say seek mentorship. It's a, it's a difficult journey and one that I don't believe anyone should have to do alone. So connect with peers, others who have done this and are doing it and are thinking about doing it and hold hands through the process. Really good. Sibilu. I would say it's going to take time. So be prepared to stay in this space for the long haul. Okay. All right. That might've been worth the price of admission. This is a longer episode than we typically do, but uh, I, I know that if for those that hung on to the end, uh, that was really worthwhile. Uh, thank you, each of you. I mean, what a what an amazing opportunity to connect with leaders from all over the world that are really have the best interests of kids at heart and, and want to see them cared for well and protected well. So uh, Tara, Martis, Ian, Sabilu, thank you guys for joining the show. Phil, I'll throw it back to you, buddy. 
Yeah, man, that was that was amazing. Thank you, everyone, not just for what you shared today, but you know, as we say, just thank you for what you're doing and how you're allowing um, God to use you and you're following the call that He has on your life. And I'm just I'm so encouraged by each of you. I know, Martus, we just we just met today, but I've had the pleasure um, and and honor to be able to do life with with the other three and even be able to visit you in your in your home countries and to be able to um, just just get to know you at, at different levels and to know that it's not just words being stated um, today, but these are lives being lived. And so I just want to thank each of you for who you are, for your friendships with me and, and um, just for what you shared today. I mean, this was so good. This was so good. And folks out there, like Brandon said, for those of you who stuck around to the end, I'm impressed with not only the answers, but the brevity um, uh, because, uh, that was impressive. I just, I'm, I'm not known to be brief and concise, so I got to take some lessons, but anyway, just thank you guys. Thank you for who you are. Just folks out there know that, know that if you have questions about these things, I know each of these people, um, that they will be open to, to being those mentors in some way, obviously to the ability of, of their schedules and everything. But if you have questions, reach out to us, we can connect you. Um, and, uh, with all of that, with everything that we do on the show, I hope and pray as always, every show we sign off with this. And it's not just, again, it's not just empty words. These are words that we really are speak with, with as much sincerity as possible. We hope that you take everything that you're learning on this show and you're using it to help you to know how to love orphan and vulnerable children and families better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple of weeks. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.